Hello and welcome to the Cricket Tragics podcast. This is episode three. Tonight, I'm joined by Mr. Alex Cameron and the enforcer, Jeffrey Fredo Fredrickson. My name is Josh, and in this episode, Alex will take Jeff and I through our paces, quizzing us about that wonderful concept, the spirit of cricket. And we'll delve into various aspects of the recently completed second and third Ashes tests. And to close it out, as always, each of us will throw up something interesting we've noticed in the cricketing week. Boys, how are we? Alex, how are you doing? I'm really good, Josh. Thanks for uh, inviting me back, man. Oh, mate, you're always welcome. <laughs> Jeffrey, how are you? Oh, great, mate. It's always good to be talking to you, Blake. Nice. How'd we go on the weekend? Bloody awesome. We crushed it. it. Yeah. Um, what is that? Uh, six games, one washouts, one loss, and four wins. Four good wins as well. Yeah, good wins. I think. Convincing wins. That's right. The three of us play in a, in a uh, warehouse team, the Fat Cats. Fredo is close to the top run scorer in the competition. I think you're number two, aren't you? Other, other than this, uh, this upstart from Pine Rivers, who seems to, as Josh said, scored 100 every game. Um, other than when he played against us. Look, normally I, I like to think that I'm going to go toe to toe with Fredo in the run scoring, but this season he's just been, he's just Mate, like, let, like I said let me the in play, the dust. I think we were talking when you were still in the field and I came off and looked at it. I said, oh, I've got to handicap myself every season. I've got to at least have one game that I'm not there for. <laughs> That's it. You're going to take a holiday around about back yeah. into the season so back that I can get an extra every, image yeah. there and try and catch you up a bit. That's very <laughs> considerate of you. I appreciate oh, that. Mate, just, I've got to lock myself off in the knee somehow just to, just to make it more competitive. Actually, uh, this is a bit of a going down a, a bit of a side street here, but what do you guys consider a fail when we're, when we're playing cricket in terms of batting, like a score? Like for me... If I get to 20, I'm happy, you know, like uh, 19, no good. 19, no, I don't like it. But if I've cracked the 20, the 20s, uh, I'm very happy. See, I think it's a complete fail for me if I don't hit a boundary. I could, hit, I could hit a cracking four and be like, I'm good. I'm satisfied there. It's a completely like, different benchmark for Jeffrey. He's a different player. Uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I hit two shots. The only two shots that I connected to on the weekend were two straight drives straight down the ground. Four. I'm like, okay, I'm done. And then I got clean bowled, like in swinging Yorker on my bloody leg stump. <laughs> I went, yeah, it was a good ball. I'll take that. That's all right. There were a couple of nice boundaries, I will say. <laughs> I had the pleasure of being at nine strikers and one, one of them whistled past my ear. Yes. Well, I was, um, I was actually the other third person from our team on the ground because I was at square leg. Uh, what I found more interesting was that, um, I actually watched the GoPro footage of, of Jeff for that over. Yeah. He hit fours, didn't say anything, but I could, I could feel the happiness coming through the, through the video. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but at the same time, he gets bowled, looks around, and he's walking off and he goes, that was swinging. That was swinging. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's always, justified, boys. <laughs> it's always the best ball of the day, especially, especially when you're bowled. It's, oh, they've just got the best ball of the day. Yeah, <laughs> I think, doesn't I think might... one all the rest of the day. Like, Damn it! So, why is Fredo known as the enforcer? Is, this, is there a lot of thought that's gone behind this, or is this just uh, off the cuff? Look, mate, it's just it's what runs through my head when I'm standing at the non-strikers and he's he's belting opposition teams, and so I'm sitting back there next to the umpire, thinking, "Who is this bloke? He's he's a menace. He's an enforcer. He's I a think, blitzkrieg." I think we've done it uh... twice now, where I'm like on forty and you're on two. <laughs> like, thanks, mate. Thanks, thanks for uh, bringing that up again. <laughs> That's probably where it comes from, then. Man. No, I like it. Look, what you talked about before, Alex, about the mood in the field, and Jeff does this often. It'll be the 
he will have faced maybe one or two deliveries and then he's he's taken him down the ground straight away and that and so often bowling teams there is a little bit of disbelief in the camp it's funny some of the things that fielding teams say they'll either say oh look at this bloke he's just he's just a hacker he's just teeing off or other times teams will be like how can this person be it's the first over of the match and he's belting, <laughs> belting us already <laughs> foot on the throat at all times that's right <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so I, I know that this is, we're going to be giving Jeff more nicknames as we go through. And so listening to the discussion, perhaps next week can be known as the dominator because he dominates, that's good. Because he dominates the game, but he also dominates the strike. <laughs> so yeah, well, it works, well, it works on two levels, right? It's, it's a backhanded compliment for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, on the weekend, I, I like face three balls. One off the thigh pad down for a single, and I gave Josh like the rest of the over. That was in the that first is true. over. So like, <laughs> that is true. And I was down the other end doing my best Jeffrey Boycott impression. I just you know leave a couple, block a couple, have a look. Well, actually, guys, it reminds me a bit of um of the game that I played the previous week with another with another team, and actually Fredo was there. Um, and I had, I had quite a, quite a good innings, sorry, quite a good partnership with, um, Bad Verma as, uh, listeners will remember from podcast episode one. And while we were out there, they bowled us about five no balls. So obviously the batsman gets the free hit. And so three of them were actually at bat. And, um, and, you know, every time a no ball was bowled, even if it's sort of the kids permissive, he's like, no, stay there, stay there, stay there, stay there. And so he hit those free hits. But when I was batting, I hit one of the no balls. It was a tight single. He called me through straight away for a single. The other no ball, I hit it. And it was the only time in the whole day where he says three straight away. And so <laughs> three. I'm like, what? If anyone yells out three off the bat at me, as if we're going to run three, mate, I'm trying to run the person out. I feel like, mate. No, I'm made, too old for this. I've, I've made you run know. three a few times. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, no, that is true. That is true. That'll <laughs> keep up. I feel like this is a good nickname for Jeff because he's a good runner between the wickets as well and he's fast. Um, and it's got the same amount of syllables as his last name. I want to call him Jeff Blitzkriegson. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, we'll see. Well, yeah, that, that, that'll stick around for a little while and then we'll move on to Okay, boys, let's recap because a lot of things have happened since our last podcast. The second and third Ashes tests have come to their conclusions. They've been controversial, to say the least. The second test at Lords really had everything. Climate protesters, a flat deck, leg theory fields and body line bowling. We had another Steve Smith 100, a series-ending injury to Nathan Lyon, and he also featured in a heroic batting innings on one leg. Uh, there was a mind-boggling 155 from Ben Stokes in the run chase. Didn't quite get England across the line. And, of course, we had the spirit of the game controversy that came up when Johnny Bairstow was stumped by Alex Carey. Australia eventually getting the win, going 2-0 up, and standing on the brink of winning the Ashes on English soil first time since 2001. Then we had a bit of a U-turn and third test at Headingley for a change. They prepared a pitch that had something in it for the swing and seam bowlers. Replacement players starred for both teams. Mitch Marsh for Australia. He scored a innings rescuing ton in Australia's first innings. And Mark Wood, who hasn't played heaps of cricket recently, coming back from injury, starred for England, bowling some absolute thunderbolts and terrorising Australia's top order. 
So England won the third test, and now we have some media commentators who are saying the momentum has swung heavily back in their favour. The series is still poised at 2-1 to Australia. Two tests to go, all results still possible. So much has happened. We can't possibly get through all of it. Uh, but look, like I said, the biggest event, I suppose, in the first two tests is this controversy uh, around the Johnny Bairstow run-out and the nebulous concept of the spirit of cricket. Look, it's really made our conversation from the previous podcast about abuse and sledging and Ollie Robinson. All of that seems like ancient history now. So much has happened and perhaps small by comparison. So let's have a bit of fun with that concept. Alex, I believe that you have prepared something for us tonight. So maybe you can tell us what that's about. Uh, yes. Yeah, so as you said, the spirit of the game, quite a nebulous concept. But do you, do you know what the spirit of the game is, guys? <laughs> Bit of do you want me to go first? <laughs> well, actually, I, I, I'm not actually, saying, not actually saying about what your opinion is, but do you know that okay. it's actually a real thing? Like it, it exists. Oh, it's like the fine somewhere yeah. in the, in the room yeah. of cricket. If you talk to anyone who's um, from the MCC, for example, um, first of all, not the rules of cricket, the laws of cricket, the spirit of the game is actually the preamble to the laws of cricket. And so, you know, you can actually go to the MCC website and look at it. I'm looking at it right now. It's a bit sort of wishy-washy, uh, a bit sort of, um, you know, play hard and fair, accept the umpire's decision, create a positive atmosphere by your own conduct and encourage others to do likewise show self-discipline. So it's a vibe, right? You're getting that, that sort of feeling. And there is a picture next to this preamble of um, an event in our lifetime that happened on the cricket field, sort of quite uh, quite a well-known event, moment in cricket. Jesus. In our lifetime. Yeah. This wasn't something I was meant to be quizzing you about. I mean... Did it happen yeah. in tests? Yes. So uh, I won't really waste too much time here. It was actually in the 2005 Ashes series. I uh, believe it was... Replacement it fielder. Uh, was it the replacement fielder? No, 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 fielder? no. Oh, they're okay. not, not going to put that there. <laughs> okay. Uh, this this is meant to be uh, like something that entails oh. the spirit of the game. It's all, I know the answer. Go, but ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it, it is when Bradley nearly won the game for Australia chasing in the fourth innings, lost narrowly, and when the game was finished, Freddie Flintoff, Freddie Flintoff came down and patted Brett Lee on the back end of him. And it's been heralded as one of the great moments of sportsmanship uh, in the Ashes, but in sport generally. Yep. So that, that's that's the picture. And I suppose that if anything was to represent the spirit of the game, perhaps that's a pretty appropriate picture. Um, but what I've got for you guys today is three scenarios, two of which have actually happened and one which I've sort of thought up. And I want you to tell me whether you think it's within the spirit of the game or not. Actually, before we even start that, what do, what do we think about the Besto run-out? Do we think that is, with, is in the it's spirit a run of the out, game? It's not? stumping. Sorry, sorry, Fred. Yeah, he wasn't going for a run. It's not a run-out. It's stumping. Right, coming from a wicketkeeper, fair as daylight. Like that was all in all perfect. Could not have gotten any better coming from Kerry. He was quick thinking and... Besto cannot rip into me about it because he tried doing it about three times in the previous innings. So I don't think there's any issue at all. That, that's true. So um, yeah, Fred is making reference to the fact that there is multiple pieces of footage where Johnny Besto has tried to do the same thing. And yeah, I suppose the the point of difference is that in a lot of those other, you know, this kind of thing happens a lot in the games we play where 
the pace bowler is bowling the um, the wicketkeeper's back and um, they pick up the ball and they throw at the stumps. Normally, when the batsman is outside of the, or taking guard outside of their crease and hasn't returned to their crease, and this particular case, it does it happens every almost uh, you know happens a lot. Um, the only difference here, I guess, is that Besto was in his crease and he went out. Um, and what do, what do you think, uh, Josh? Do you think it's in the spirit of the game or not? Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to try and keep it brief. Um, no well, doubt you're not, not 30 surprised. Seconds, mate. 30 seconds. Okay, right. Okay. So I'm happy with that dis- dismissal to be out. I don't think the spirit of cricket has anything to do with it as such. I think that it's not super clear cut. I think that in the laws of cricket under, I think it's 20.1.1, talks about the ball's dead when the ball is settled in the wicket keeper's or the bowler's hands. I don't like that law. I think it's too subjective. Uh, because there's another law in there as well that says the ball's dead when the batters, the fielders and the umpires all consider the ball to be dead. On the MCC laws go on to clarify, it's up to umpires' interpretation when the ball is considered to be settled in the wicketkeeper's hands, which is fair enough. I see that you can have a million different circumstances in a game of cricket. You can't cover everything. But I don't like that law about the ball being settled in the wicketkeeper's hands. I think that that could do us some clarification. There has been some media commentators who have said, Kerry did his thing all in one motion. The ball was settled in his hands for 0.8 of a second. So that's all good as well. And I don't disagree with that. But the, the issue that I have is that those particular arguments aren't worded anywhere in the laws. So you really can't refer to them. And I did hear another argument put forward by Brad Hogg, ex-Australian cricket player and now Western Australian cricket administrator. And he was saying that this case may be a little bit unique to some other cases because it was the end of the over. And he argued that there had been a normal practice established in this particular game to signify what the end of the over was. And he pointed out that Johnny Besto scratched his foot on the crease as he had been doing to signify his understanding that the ball was now dead. And that had become normalised and the Australians had been accepting that time and time again. And so his argument was, well, actually, there was this unspoken acceptance under that law around, well, it's when the umpire, the batters and the fielders all accept the ball is dead, then that's when it's dead. And Bairstow was operating on the assumption that that normal practice for this game had been established. And I thought that was an interesting point. Look, I'm not trying to make the argument to say that Johnny Bairstow shouldn't have been out because I think he should have been out. My point is around it frustrates me that the laws of cricket. It's not clear cut. Yeah, that, that's that's my thoughts. Trying to keep it as short as possible. I could go on and on and on and on about it. All right. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah, a bit of uh, a bit of nuance there. So the three situations that I wanted to put forward. Okay, so, and again, let's try and keep this reasonably short, guys. Um, number one, Stuart Broad not walking after the edge in 2013 in the Ashes. Nagar is uh, bowling to him. He gets an edge, um, and it goes to first slip. The umpire gives it not out. In the spirit of the game or not in the spirit of the game? Uh, Fred, Not. Uh, so, sorry, the... the Important thing here is that he didn't he didn't walk after not being given out, even though the yeah. edge was quite obvious. Yep, go ahead, Fred. Yeah, it's it's not in the spirit of the game, but at the same time, hadn't Australia burned all their reviews? I think they had just. Yeah. Well, they were, they definitely had yep, because they didn't. And, uh, and the game was tinkering on like a knife's edge, wasn't it? I mean, if the umpire can't bloody hear the thing, and you you're like your team's on the knife edge, I understand why he didn't walk, but it is against the spirit of the game. So okay. 
So what you're saying is that you could um that you're happy for if it didn't players. go to first slip and he nicked it to the keeper and it was a very fine edge and you're sitting there going, Fuck, it's an umpire didn't hear that. Well that's his problem. Yep. They've burned all their reviews. That's a, a luck of the draw thing, and it was the fucking finest nick ever. I'd mm. be like, mm, sort of understand that a little bit coming from a batsman's point of view, but yeah, it's against the spirit of the game, especially when you nick it the first slip and everyone around you knows. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Stuart Broad comes from a famous family of non-walkers. Even yeah. in inst- instances where his father was given out, he refused to leave the field. Uh, in Pakistan, famously, sometime in the eighties, I think. Um, all right. So, Josh, what do you think about that? Against or for the spirit of the game? Okay, I'm going to try and keep it brief again because there's uh, so much to talk about here. Okay, so the issue of walking is a massive conversation all on its own. To answer your question from the get-go, Stuart Broad was acting inside the spirit of the game by not walking, in my opinion, because my thought about the spirit of the game is that it is an optional there for you to use if you want to, but there's no obligation. It's an option that's available to, let's say, reverse a decision or overturn something where they've seen something that the rules of the game are ambiguous and they feel like the outcome is not equitable or it's not justice. And so they say, hey, actually, no, we don't feel good about this. And so it's an opportunity to display sportsmanship. Um, On the issue of walking, I've walked in the past. I've not walked in the past. I mean, you know, and cricket is a game of averages. Um, There are times when you're going to swipe at one and not hit it and, you know, slip click these fingers and the umpire heard it and he's going to give you out. You have to accept that. Um, so you're going to get some and you're not going to get some. I love seeing when batters walk. It makes me feel good inside, makes me feel good about our sport. When Adam Gilchrist walked in the World Cup semi-final against Sri Lanka, I, he just became my favourite player forever then mm. after that. like So I love it, but I don't think that um, that Stuart Broad thing has anything to do with the spirit of cricket. Yeah, okay. I think that that's a pretty good description. You're sort of saying, okay, well, um, so it kind of throws my whole quiz here out the window a bit, but you're saying that, um, the, uh, Sorry. the spirit of the game actually, no, no, that's fine. The spirit of the game lies outside where the rules are ambiguous and it's sort of, it's there to police, um, it's, things. It's, the morals. That, that, it's, yeah. it's your morals, but, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's, it's, I, it's a bridge between morality and the laws of the game. Wow. We're that's deep. Here, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. It's a, yeah. Okay. A bridge between the real world and uh, the rules of the game, I suppose. Um, but yeah. Okay. So even though you sort of thread out the whole premise, let's go to the next question. Um, so actually you brought this up earlier in the podcast. Um, Ricky Ponting ran out by Gary Pratt in 2005. Um, Gary Pratt, of course, um, was the 12th man and was not the 12th man in the sense that he was going to get a game. If one of the players got injured, he was the 12th man because he was, a very good fielder. Damian Martin, I think, dinked one into cover, uh, called a single through. Gary Pratt went, uh, ran around, got the ball, direct hit, Ricky Ponting's out. Um, and he was obviously very unhappy about that. And he, he'd actually raised the issue with the umpires in one of the earlier tests. Like, you know, this is what England are doing. They are resting their, their paces off the field and replacing them with specialist fielders. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Um, is that within the spirit of the game or not? I'll go with Fredo yeah. first, sorry. Yeah, he's a 12th man. Like, if you're smart enough to do that, it's always in the rules of the game. 
Like we do that all like teams do that all the time. The rest of the mm-hmm. bowlers put on someone that's rested, and if they're a good fielder, well, good on. Like I think. I suppose that um that I would think that this part of it is where things do get a little ambiguous. Like, so what is the twelfth man meant to be? I suppose there's not a lot of rules about what's the nature of the twelfth man. I well, think he's a fielder. Can, that's all he is. That's all he can do. That's true. But I think that um if you look at you know over history, especially I would say really early in cricket and these days as well, the twelfth man normally is there. Yes, as a fielder, but. The idea is that they're part of the squad and that they will probably be getting a game eventually if someone has an injury. Mm. In this particular case, that's not what England were doing. They were, um, they brought in people who were specialist fielders. Um, I think that in Australia, like when Australia is playing test matches in, you know, for example, the SCG, they tend to bring in sort of younger shield players to, to be the fielders. I'm not sure if it's based on fielding ability or not. Um, but Josh, what do you think about this? Look, I disagree with what Jeff said, really. Contention around these types of things, I think, just comes down to the rules are the sorry, not the rules, the laws being Thanks, ambiguous. Mate. Look, if you if if it's within the laws of the game and you can bring on a substitute fielder, I mean, why wouldn't you bring on the bloke with the best arm in the country? And if you are at the batting side, as Ricky Ponting was in that two thousand and five case, and not paid attention, to who he's hit the ball to. Like there, there's a saying that goes on in, in our cricket where well, the fielders will call it out. They'll say, oh, not on that arm, mate. And that essentially means that, yeah, look, you hit it take to the fielder. You, you know, take a run at your own peril. I mean, being run out by a bloke who's got a good arm, is this is not a new concept. It's better beware. Yeah, okay, okay. I mean, I suppose that my slight rebuttal to that would be I mean, I don't know the exact rules about how many substitute fielders you can have at any, at one point in time. I think it, in some instances I've seen up to three or four substitute fielders on the ground. So from what you guys have said, it wouldn't break any laws of the game or spirit of the game concepts by, for example, Australia bringing the four best fielders in Australia on tour to England and just having them in the field for the whole game and resting four players, substituting them in and out over time. Yeah, I don't like the way it looks, even though I've just said that I think it's within the laws. And yeah, if, if it got looked at and there was some more specifics around what you were and weren't allowed to do, I'd be happy to see that change. I, I don't like this trend, and I heard it spoken about that maybe in the IPL you just wheel out your specialist players for different circumstances of the match, and then you have a squad of... 20 or 30 or whatever, kind of like North American sport. I I don't like that, and I I would hate to see cricket go that way. Part of the beauty of cricket is that you have to balance your team with batters and bowlers, understanding that your bowlers have to bat. And as soon as we start having substitute players for all sorts of different purposes, uh, that aspect of the game is in danger of disappearing. And so I'd be happy if they updated the laws and said, well, actually, you're not allowed to bring on the bloke with the best arm in the country as your substitute fielder. It has to be... So a fringe player who was almost in the team for their batting or bowling or something like someone out of the squad, you know. If, if you're on the team just because you've got a good arm, I think you need to improve all the other aspects of your yeah. sporting progress because that's pretty pitiful. Yeah, okay, guys. I think those some pretty interesting stuff there for those first two points. So the third the third situation sort of applies more to the cricket we play. And actually, it, it sort of came to me, I was talking to the captain of... Peninsula, who Greta and I played in a game at last week. And he was referring to another team 
who will not be named, my least favourite team in Brisbane. And he was saying, look, I'm 65 or something like that. And, you know, a lot of us are like 50. And this other team were coming in and just continually bowling bounces at us all day. And he was sort of complaining about that. I suppose I don't really have any big uh, issue with that because, you know, they've signed up to play. But I was thinking about if it was me. So say I'm playing a game and there's a guy who's coming in number 11, sort of like a, a guy who's passion for cricket far outweighs his ability in cricket. And we've got someone who's coming in bowling about 120 kilometers an hour and just continuing to hit him and going, you know, flying past his head. Somehow he's managing to survive. Do you think it's in the spirit of the game for us to let the bowler to just keep doing that? No, no, that's shit. Okay, so we've got a 13-year-old playing in our team. Freaking yep. good keeper, and he's a pretty yep. good bat, but he's not yep. the same size as He is playing with a whole of blokes, but yep. he usually comes in and bats at like 9, 10, 11, right? Yep. If I was down the other end and they had one of their pace bowlers coming in and trying to bowl and take his head off, I'd probably turn around and sock the bloke and give mm. him a good talking to for doing that because that, that shit, like bowl hard and at the stumps. Mm. Yep. Throw that you set off. Okay. I'm severely pissed off and annoyed, and I would voice my opinion very sternly. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, all right, Josh, what do you think? I love it that you've brought this up, and I think that we have been talking about the spirit of cricket and in the elite context all the time, and it's easy, like what I've just said, to just defer back to the laws all the time because these sort of talent discrepancies that you're talking about don't exist as much at the elite level, and so these types of scenarios that you've put forward don't exist. And like we've talked about in previous podcasts, majority of global cricket gets played at amateur level, backyards, this sort of thing. And you will get all sorts of participants in there at different ages and skill levels. And cricket can be a dangerous sport. And yes, maybe this is where the spirit of cricket becomes heaps more important. And the amount of judgment that needs to be applied by not just umpires, but everyone who's participating about, is this sensible what we're doing? I, I think that, yeah. Maybe this is where there is more of a conversation around what, what, what is the spirit of cricket. And maybe that's where the true value in remembering that it's an important concept really comes into play. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting that you bring it back to that you're talking about how perhaps the spirit of the game or the concept of the spirit of the game is much more important in sort of the type of cricket we play. You know, I'm reminded of, of situations last season where, for example, the team we're playing turns up and they say, look, we've only got six at the moment. But there's, you know, there's four of us coming in half an hour and like, I'm looking at the pitch. It's a, it's, um, complete road. I want to bat, but I'm like, you know, I want to play a game and I don't want to piss off people. So I just, I win the toss and I, I let them bat. Right. Um, I think that I'm happy to do that. And the same, the same thing. Um, you know, I, I, let's not get caught up in this, but the, um, the idea of running out the non-striker colloquially known as the man cab. I believe people don't like to use that term anymore, but I, I'm actually fine with it in international cricket, but there's no way I would do it in a, in a, in our game on the weekend. Yeah. Never. I love it that you've praised, you've framed it this way, Alex, because you've just made me realize that this is, I feel strongly about it from this perspective as well. My least favorite player in the world is Ravi Ashwin. And <laughs> I don't like him because he's reintroduced the man cat into mainstream. And I understand it. it. It's come up in the IPL, for instance, at that level. It's the elite level. Heaps of money involved. It is a game of inches. Everyone is trying to find a bit of advantage somewhere. And so the bowler has said, well, hold on, you're taking too much advantage. And he's 
using something, again, within the rules to, to try and prevent that. But what I take issue with is that, yeah, now every under-10s game across the world, every aspiring young spinner is, is going to think that he's smart or cool by man-counting people. I, I hate it. I hate you it. Know, I, you know, a really, a really yeah. simple solution to that? Keep your foot behind the line and keep your bat <laughs> yeah. behind the line at all bloody times until you want to take a run or you finish bowling that bloody ball. It pisses me off. <laughs> you could you could actually start to um, introduce the concept of ne- negative sundries for the batting team. So it would be called a batting no ball. If, short run. Uh, no, no, a batting no ball. If yeah, well, short run. A, a batting no ball. If the um, the bowler comes in and the batsman is out of his crease yeah. when the bowler delivers it. So you say, okay, that's dead ball and negative one to the batting team. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that concept and I like it more than the batter being dismissed because I've always felt well, I'm a batsman, so I'm mm. biased as we previously established. I think it's a disproportionate outcome if the batter is dismissed for that. When if the bowler oversteps. All that happens is the batting team gets an extra run and they have to re-bowl the ball. So I feel like what you've suggested, if it's just a a run taken off the batting team, perhaps, uh, that is that would be a more equitable thing. You would still get the desired outcome. You would get batters more motivated to stay in their crease. Have you guys noticed how um, mentioning, again, the man-cad is like a cricketing conversation black hole because we've spent like the last 15 minutes talking about the spirit of cricket as soon as i bring mancat we're trying to develop a rule to get to get around there this is my central point and my issue with um at the elite level around the spirit of cricket why does it come up as a conversation it should never and when it does it's always an issue about uh inadequacy of the laws and so yeah you know, Maybe the walking issue that we talked about is one where, like, oh, okay, it's going to be very hard to try and you can, you essentially can't improve the laws to to fix that issue. But the other ones that we've talked about around the ball being dead uh, and the man cat, you definitely can fix those yep. things. Uh, that's that's what I think. Yeah. Okay, guys. I think that was good. Um, thanks. Sir. All right, boys. Thanks for that, Alex. Always love to, to delve into some of these controversial issues and the spirit of cricket as a concept has so much to give. So what we like to do before we wrap it up for this episode is go around each of us and have a chat about something that we've noticed in the cricketing week. Alex, would you like to start us off? Yeah, so Josh, I've got two things that have sort of caught my eye this week. First, um, the women's ashes got close for a bit with Australia winning the first test match, the first T20, but then lost the following two T20s and the first ODI. Fortunately, they got back up and won the second ODI last night. And that means they've retained the ashes. At the moment, it's interesting that both teams are on three wins and three losses. And the chat over the past couple of years has been that the women are just un- unbeatable. I think England have definitely shown that there's some chinks in the armor. Even though England have failed to take back the ashes, I think that it's a really good thing for, for women's cricket that other teams are catching up. One thing I did find interesting about that is that there's four points for a test win, two points for an ODI and a T20. Personally, I think that perhaps the T20 points should be not be the same as the ODI. And quickly, um, the Major League Cricket has been going on. What I really like is that Tim David is the second highest run scorer, yet to get an average because he hasn't been dismissed yet. A 50 and a 48, and he's hit 16 boundaries, uh, eight fours and eight sixes. So he's doing well playing for the MI New York, which... It's kind of a weird name because it essentially means Mumbai Indians, New York, and all games are being played in Texas. So, um, yeah, 
the first day was a sellout. And from what I've seen, they've been getting some decent crowds there. So, um, so far, so good for the MLC. Thanks, Alex. Well, boy, something that I noticed still back on the ashes and that, and that's what's, what's been happening with Jimmy Anderson. Uh, so we haven't seen him too much in the ashes series so far. He did play in the first two tests, but were a couple of flat decks prepared and the bowling did get into a lot of short stuff, which is not really Jimmy's strength area. So he spent a lot of time on the boundary and the third test he was rested. And I would question, is he even worn out? Why would you rest him? It's probably going to be his last ever Ashes series. He may even retire completely from test cricket. Uh, There was some suggestion of that at the start of the summer, although he hasn't made an official statement on it. Uh, I think he's one of test cricket's greats. Statistically, he is the third highest test wicket taker of all time. I think he has 688 wickets. He's behind only Murley and Warren. Those other blokes being spinners, that means that Jimmy is the top test wicket taker of any pace bowler ever. And interestingly, there are only 14 other players in the history of the Ashes since 1882 who have played more Ashes tests than Jimmy Anderson. So he's one of the most capped players. Look, when Warren and McGrath retired, we just about had a ticket tape parade for him. There was... There was a worthy send-off for those guys. I think Jimmy Anderson is in the same league, and so I really hope that no matter how the Ashes plays out in this series, that he gets a, a send-off. I think it's reasonably sure that we won't be back for another Ashes test. Although he's had a 20-year career so far, so you, <laughs> you just never know. I suspect that he will be picked in the next test, and look, Win, lose, or draw for England. I hope he features heavily and and he gets some sort of sort of send off. Fredo, what did you notice this week, mate? I read an uh, interview with Kawaja, and he was saying how he actually contacted the ICC general manager Wasim Khan, and he basically was talking about how they get kick and ping for the overrates and how yes. slow they're going. Yet, I think in the first couple of innings there, Australia wasn't bowling any more than eighty overs, uh, was ever getting England out. And I think there was a big issue with the World Test Championship as well. And he was saying it's getting a bit ridiculous that we keep getting pinged for these things. And like we're playing on wickets in England where you can't really bowl two spinners from each hand and rip through the overs. We're going as fast as we can. We're getting a result for the game, yet we're getting pinged half our match fee. And I think the Indians got pinged like 80% of their match fee. So he's put through pretty good points there about how it's a bit rough that they keep getting pinged for this stuff when it's really out of their hands and they're getting a result. So, and then I think they've actually lost some of their world test championship points because of it. So it's impacting them, not just on the game, not just on their match fees, but also like down the track too. And then you've got India or other teams that play in those areas where they've just got spinners all the time. They can rip through the rovers and they don't get penalized for it. So. And I, I know you've got a pretty strong point about if you don't get your overs rates, buddy, the captain gets pinged. Yeah. Like, sits out the next game, but it's a bit yeah. hard when that's true. They they can't go any faster than that, really. But yeah, you're right. I thought it was pretty interesting, and and it's pretty ballsy for Kawaja to step up and go, "No, I'm I'm sorting this out." And I think he has, and I think they're yeah. starting to address it. So. I can't disagree with you, mate. I think you make really good points there. And, yeah, I did say before that I thought, oh, you know, you'd fix this problem by suspending captains. Mm. But you're right, the conditions prepared for each test, it varies greatly. And, yeah, mm. teams get picked on that basis. 
And you're right, we're not seeing a glut of draws. Actually, yeah. the trend in modern test cricket, a lot of them have finished in three days. We've even some seen some recent tests finished in two days. And Australia versus South Africa at the Gabba, that was was finished before we had time to get our first beer. So yeah. and that's not that's not great. Um no. so yeah, it's a good point you make. Maybe it's not as simple as what I made out before, like to fix mm. that problem. Maybe there's a bit more consideration that's due. Mm. Like we've been saying throughout the whole podcast, maybe they need to address some of these rules and laws a bit more. And, yeah. and sort of modernise it a bit more yeah. to, to suit the game. And the modern day game with short form cricket coming on and just exploring more corners of the sport around where can you compete. And so I think it's not surprising that some of the laws that are being exposed and tested yeah. probably just a natural progression for that to happen. And if we keep just complaining about the spirit of cricket all the time when the laws are not serving us well, I mm. think that's a, that's a little bit disappointing to me. Yeah. I didn't know that, Phil. That's really interesting. Um, and you know, nobody could ever accuse Kawaja of not being ballsy enough, right? Um, oh, he's, yeah. uh, he, he's, um, he's, I agree with both what you, both what you've both said. At the same time, I'm saying, and I think this, I'm essentially agreeing again that the rules have to be revisited, but I don't think the argument is saying, look, we're getting results. It's entertaining. So that's fine. There has to be a lower limit. Okay. If you're saying, okay, 90 is, is too much. Then it has to be 80. And if they're going to do 50 overs and say, look, it was an entertaining game, but we only bought 50 overs, mm. then, you know, that's probably not, not going to work. So there has to be some, some limit there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think they're changing or they're, they're talking about changing it all now. Which, yeah. Look, here's, here's one other way to look at it before we wrap up. In the second test, we saw a really flat deck and then the game descended into a bouncer thong. If you were to really harshly enforce this 90 overs, you might restrict teams from being able to, to let, just let the game descend into that. The overrate may force them to be like, well, okay, you got to bring on some part-timers. Yeah. It's saying under the revised ITC rules, overrate penalties for innings that last less than 80 overs have been have been voided. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, I think the um, that's, that's good, but I also think... Um, you know, talking to people like my father, they say, well, you know, the West Indies bowled with five quicks and they managed to get 90 overs done in a day in the, in the 1970s. So I think it was even more than 90, wasn't it? Is it 100 overs in a day? I forget. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's a, another point to consider, I guess. Yeah. Someone ought to tell Brody to stop yelling, stop moving the robot. Just bowl, mate. <laughs> get through your own. <laughs> Did you guys see that, um, his dad actually got pinged? Did you hear about this? So his, his dad is a, is a match referee. He used to be a player. He played for England as well. He's an yeah. opening batsman. So there was this meme going around of um, Bart Simpson used to, you know, write that thing out on the blackboard on the saying, blackboard, I, yeah, I, the I will not, I forget exactly what this said, but it was something about Broad, um, you know, just dominating David Warner. And what um, Chris Broad did was he, I think he retweeted that or he put it on, on Facebook. So as an official, he has a job with the ICC as a match referee. They actually pinged him and said, no, you can't do that. He was given a, a stern talking to by the higher-ups. <laughs> Fair enough. By the guys in the MCC that bloody all ripped into everyone when they were walking off the field, probably. Did you see the names of those guys? Oh, yeah, Bartholomew. Yeah, yeah, it, was. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it sounded like a stitch-up. It just seems so... It sounds like something like Monty Python. yeah. Well, Alex and I were talking about this the other day, and I think that's like a 20-year wait time to become a member of the MCC. So, you know, like by the time it took these blokes to get their membership, when they first applied, Bartholomew was probably a popular name back then. (laughs) 
<laughs> and there were, yeah. there were a lot of uh, what are they called um double bangers like like uh these hyphenated surnames <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh two dads they're called two dads yeah okay so um <laughs> they couldn't figure out which dad it was so yeah both uh, names. all right guys i think that's it for today we had some pretty interesting conversations this gets more enjoyable every week as far as i'm concerned we're going to be back next week and we're going to be reviewing whatever's happened in the fourth test will do cheers boys thanks see you next time bye